0: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir,
1: it's heretic happy hour. Well, 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 look who's back. Yes, you couldn't get enough. And here you are for another hit of your favorite podcast, the Heritage Happy Hour. But you know what? We're glad to see you. So welcome back to the Heritage Happy Hour podcast. We are continuing our wildly popular series on um the pillars of the Christian faith. This episode, we're going to dive into the incarnation. Oh my goodness, it's going to be awesome. My name is Keith Giles. I am the author of the seven-part Jesus Un series of books, um, looking at deconstruction. Um, Each book dealing with a different aspect of deconstruction. My most recent book, Jesus Unarmed, uh, How the Prince of Peace Disarms Our Violence, uh, is out now. And I am joined by my incredibly amazing and very dead sexy co-hosts, Derek, Matt, and Katie. Say hello. I feel uncomfortable having been named last in that little (laughs) series, but my name
0: is Katie Valentine, and I'm the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Community, the author of "Sex, Slavery and Self-Control, and I'm feeling particularly incarnated tonight. Um, So I'm grounded, I'm primed, I'm caffeinated, I'm ready to go.
2: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Derek Day, the author of Deconstructing Religion and uh, host of the Forward Podcast. And in case you guys missed me, last episode I was out nursing my golden Lloyds of London insured voice. But I'm back, Mm. ready to kick ass and take names on incarnation.
3: And you sound fantastic.
1: You really do. You sound so, so good. Ah, Did you get your cold at
3: the nudist colony? Yes, I did.
1: Yeah, oh
3: yeah! Uh, this getting hot in here. Someone <laughs> so should take someone off it. all your clothes. Someone should <laughs> remix that shit. <laughs> oh yeah! AMFR. I was,
1: I was wondering how long
3: that was going to go on. Well, I am Matthew Distefano, and uh, I have an announcement, guys and and, and gals. We, we know we have a hotline. We already know yeah. that we have a hotline. That can was Jamal's bit. Can, can we
1: get a drum roll, drum roll or something?
3: Do you do you all remember? And Katie and Derek, this was before y'all joined us. But we announced that we were going.
2: Katie and I are aware. Please do not speak condescendingly like that to us again, Matthew. Now keep going.
0: The time before us. It's like an air quotes. Yeah. Know. In the
1: times, before. In the times it was, before. It was
3: before the foundation of Katie and Derek's world.
1: Before VD. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, sounds, oh, wow. That sounds That's sad. Way, way <laughs> before this, this podcast got VD. Oh, um, <laughs> shit. I'm done. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say nothing else. My
0: voice is gone.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Katie, for ruining Derek.
0: <laughs> and the announcement. Sorry.
3: Now my announcement doesn't seem God so me, that important.
0: Was, that was great, Katie. That was the best bit ever. <laughs> I've been holding on to. It. I've been waiting.
3: Yay! Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know today would be the day.
3: Derek, you sound like the old, is it Doc? Doc Coach Doc from the Boston Celtics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we came out there.
1: We gave it our all. Yeah. Anyway, my, my, I have an announcement. We, best Doc Rivers.
3: There's your Doc Rivers. We have a board game, and it is it is coming out very, very, very soon. I know we announced it years and years ago. Many um, years ago. I think it was our first Patreon-tier goal, and we hit it, and we we didn't come through right away, but... For those who have patience, we finally mm-hmm. have a board game and it is going to be at our website, com, And I'm so excited that we get to announce that. Gotta so that's say, all I had.
1: Yeah. I got to say, I honestly had just given up on this. I thought this will never, ever happen. But I mean, we tried off and on, we, we probably shouldn't go. We could do a whole episode on the, 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 the saga and the legacy of this board game. But uh, we worked on it. We came up with the questions. We had a blast coming up with the questions and coming up with the ideas for the game. And um, we hit all these snags and hiccups along the way. And finally, yes, finally. Finally. Uh, w- will it be out in time for Christmas?
3: Probably not. Probably Next Christmas. not. Christmas, yeah, it's a Christmas. Just not that one. <laughs>
1: if, if,
2: you, if, you, if you win, are you fully deconstructed? Is that the, the end game of the game?
1: So well, originally the game was patterned after Candyland, and um, but now it's I think it's just get out. It's, it's you're, you start off in hell, and you have to journey. You you have to be the first one to get to heaven. I think right is that something, something like that, and the rest of like like them that.
3: burn in hell. Yeah, the rest that's of you, that's you that's yes, that's
1: only one makes it, and the rest of you spend eternity in, in hell. Yeah. So for, <laughs> if if we
3: if there's four players and one makes it, that's roughly above Augustine's prediction of how many make <laughs> it to heaven.
1: Exactly, that's about right.
0: Well, I'm excited about this because I did no work. <laughs> whatsoever, but I feel like I'll share in the glory.
3: So this I'll, is perfect I'll mention, that to our, uh, I'll mention that to our publisher when we negotiate royalty structures. Right. That's right.
0: What, what other <laughs> what other back burner projects are there that I can just piggyback on? Anything that's else?
1: Probably. I think that's the ultimate. Like that All really. Right. That's been the legend of the slippery, slope board game that was like, right. You know, even people who listen to the podcast from the beginning or even as we're saying this, they're probably saying, yeah, right. There it's a, there's not going to be a board.
3: No, game. it's a thing. Yeah, it's but it's going to happen.
1: Thing. It really is. It, it's incarnated. It has been oh,
3: incarnated.
0: It is like incarnated pro, now.
3: Like a pro. Yeah,
2: so right. it's like the Mars mission of board
0: games.
3: That's yes. right. Yes. We it's can, finally happening. We crashed many times and we finally landed.
0: <laughs> All right. I I have been designated and delegated to be the substitute hotline person for tonight. So I'm going to do my best, Derek, um, which is going to be very poor imitation. <laughs> so I'm not going to try to imitate. Uh, instead, I'll just say exercise your finger dexterity, as Derek always tells us. We do indeed have a hotline. This is the number 240-343 7379 text us, call us, leave us voicemails, um, keep them short you may be on the air uh, so our text for tonight, which I'm reading to save Derek's voice is hi there, oh yeah, roll the text
1: hello
0: right. uh, oh, boo.
1: roll that beautiful text roll that
2: beautiful text Sorry. footage <laughs>
0: roll, hey, it, roll it roll that beautiful text footage roll it and smoke it <laughs> All right. I'm just going to read the text now. Hi there. My name is Billy. I'm from Monroe, Louisiana. Shout out, Billy. I'm from Shreveport. Uh, I've really been enjoying getting caught up on your podcast. I just listened to episode 90 about Katie's reconstruction journey. It brought up a question that I've had for a while. Katie and Keith spoke about how big changes in theology often have their genesis with others who came before. I love Richard Rohr, and I'm very aware of the many ideas he is writing about that people are finding so exciting have been written about for many years before him. There are times when I get a little frustrated when I read him mentioning the ideas of original blessing or the cosmic Christ, and I see no mention of giants like Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox was silenced by the Vatican and then later excommunicated from the church because of his writings and teachings. We are now seeing many of the things he wrote about becoming much more accepted, of course, I still think he is way beyond anything we're seeing in mainline churches. But don't you all think that people like Matthew Fox, John Shelby Spong, Marcus Borg, et etc., need to get more credit? I wish you would all have a few episodes where you talk more about their contributions. Thanks for all that you are doing. I'm very
1: grateful to each of you. Um, wow, that's a great, uh, Billy. Thank you for that amazing and very, very long text. I hope your thumbs aren't too sore now after that incredible text that you that you uh, typed out there for us. But um, yeah, I, I would agree. And maybe that's a good idea for a future series. It would maybe do like a, um, I don't know, um, sort of like a Hall of Fame of Heretics. Yeah, I would agree, Heretics I Hall think. of Fame. Yeah, Heretics Hall of Fame. Because Marcus Borg is one of my heroes, man. I love, love, love that guy. And, and Spong, who we just recently lost, and both of them have passed. Um, and uh, yeah, Matthew Fox. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more. Um, and be good maybe to bring those up because a lot of people may be listening to the podcast See, if you've only recently deconstructed, um, yeah, you probably you you probably think of names like Brad Jerzak or Richard Rohr or Paul Young or whatever, and 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 you probably may not know those other names. And so that's a really good point. You know, some of these uh, kind of legends and heroes from way way back paid the paid the price. They they really got uh, they really got blasted for speaking out and being very very different from the mainstream evangelical. Uh, world, so yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I like the inclusion
2: of of Matthew Fox, and I think that, that Fox is very underrated when it comes to um, uh, people who have path paved the deconstruction path. But I'm I, I'm also a big fan of Bishop Spong. I it's funny a true story. When I first started preaching, I thought he was the biggest heretic alive. Mm-hmm. But now it's like I really see where he was going. And, and, and his trajectory very much mimic mine. So I, I really get that. And I love Marcus Borg too. And I, and I really do think that we should, um, spend some more time talking about the heretics of the past or, or heroes of heresy or the, her- the heretics hall of fame. I don't, know how, I don't care how you call it, but I think that it's something that we definitely need to address. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. I like the idea. And i um, I think where I'm kind of coming from is maybe from a little different, angle, like paying paying our dues is great, Heritage Hall of Fame is great. Um, What I'm also aware of is that there's a lot of people writing in these spaces who don't always get cred. And it's like when, so forgive me all, but like when the, when the white male discovers all of these truths, suddenly it's big news. And there's actually like a lot of people who've been writing about this stuff for a long time. Um, It's just being discovered by evangelicals by former evangelicals who are deconstructing for the right. first time. Sure. Um, and so also, I think it'd be interesting to bring that into the conversation, Like these people have been doing this kind of work for centuries, actually. Sure, St. Joan of Arc. And so like, how can we have, yeah, like, how can we bring them into conversation partners? And the deconstruction space tends to be very male, and it tends to be very white.
2: You know what, Katie? That's that's a really good point.
0: Yeah. In addition, to these giants who are named, who I agree with you, they're all doing great stuff. They have done great stuff. It'd be interesting to find new conversation partners as well. So it's like we need a heroes' hall of fame, and then we need a um, like undercover.
1: Yeah. So they, yeah, that that would be a good series. I mean, you know, I think I think of other people too. Like uh, you know, I can't think of all the names right now, but yeah, there are there are many others that are outside the white male category as well. So it'd be fun to. For us to maybe start making a little list and, and uh, coming up with what we think would would really go into the heretics hall of fame, and then uh, do a, a series on that.
3: Well, it's not exactly that, but we do have a series coming up. And Katie, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to mention it's it's almost like I was thinking of like sports. You have like who are the most underrated athletes of all time and people who never got their due. I'm glad you brought up the white evangelical thing because. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we have a series coming up where we're going to, it's like a decolonizing series where we talk to non-white, non-heteronormative folks and um, kind of fits in with what you were saying. So listeners, stay tuned for that. And it's going to be names you probably haven't heard of because they're not like, they're not the, the Rob Bells and the, you know, Richard Roars of the world. Oh, but someone will blow your socks off. No yeah. Shit.
1: yeah, that'll be fun.
3: 100%.
0: Cool. All right, Billy, th- this is a great question. I loved it. A uh, little Cajun cred to you from your fellow uh, fellow Cajun <laughs> over here. And, yeah, okay, great and, from-
2: and, sympathy, <laughs> and sympathy from the rest of us. There's it no went.
0: sympathy needed. This is the um, best best state in the union. All right. Mm, okay. yeah, yeah, Money rise coming up, y'all. It is better it is- than Florida, though. I will say that. A little bit the uh all right so straight from uh straight from cajun mardi gras y'all get out your yoga mats unroll them get ready to do your child's pose we're interviewing a wonderful heretic of the week who's going to talk to us about kamikaze yoga uh and the truths that can come to you when you're on the mat
2: it's the heretic of the
4: week it's me, Anita Grace Brown. I'm pretty certain a lot of people have called me a heretic over the years. Hi,
0: hi, hi Anita. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the best intro ever, Anita. That was oh, I love so, it. Um, this is such a double pleasure because uh, we have Anita uh, Grace Brown uh, here to talk about her journey as the heretic of the week. And it's Derek and I, and Derek and I love it when we're together, just the two of us exclusively, because we have our Valentine's Day takeover yeah.
4: episode. Yes.
0: So that's what this is about. Uh, that's not what this is about. This is really about Anita. Uh, but Anita, tell us, um, why would someone call you a heretic? Well, it's good to be with both of you this evening.
4: Um, Not too many Christians were doing yoga back in the day, and it's been about a 15-year journey to trust that path. And somewhere along the line, I decided to write a book about it, so... That brought on a lot of questions from family members and church members. And so it was okay when I was doing the yoga over here, but then when I wanted to do the yoga in church, (laughs) they didn't didn't understand why I was combining those journeys.
0: Okay, so Christianity and yogi practices. Um, have mm-hmm. raised some eyebrows uh, people in people in your circle and outside of your circle too, I'm betting. Yes, I think it's okay
4: if you keep your yoga, you know, in your basement, kind of hide it away. Um, but once you bring it into the light and you're like, no, I'm identifying as a Christian yogi, like it's kind of like a lot of people nowadays identify as like a Christian Buddhist. So this East meets West idea, it's pretty necessary for
2: wholeness. One of the things I think is really funny about that is that Christianity in its in and of itself is an Eastern faith practice. Yes. And so so when people say East meets west, I kind of bristle a little bit because it's really East meets East, or it's one is like a further revelation of the other. And and I personally see the the, the person of Jesus Christ as a Middle Eastern yogi. You know, yes. I, I, I can imagine that his prayer life, that his, you know, his private practice was probably very metaphysical and very physical in the, in the sense of the alignment of mind, body, and spirit. Right. So, so it's like when I, when I get to meet people like you, I get really geeked. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Right. And, and, I have to say this too. The title of your book, Kamikaze Yoga. I love it. I'm a lifelong martial artist. Uh, you know pretty much my 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 practice now is something called the Warrior's Way which is uh, a mashup of Jeet Kundo, uh Wing Chun, uh, Kali, Panatukin, and Muay Thai, right? So when when I saw the title of your book, I'm like, okay, Kamikaze w- we know what the Kamikaze did. They were they were the um, the warriors trained as pilots to to basically enact suicide mission against the uh, Allied fleet. But here you've taken it and you've I think repurposed it in a beautiful way because it, obviously this is not suicidal. Maybe <laughs> suicidal to, yeah. to your religion. Right, It they kill your, <laughs> and they kill the religion within. But tell us about Kamikaze Yoga. That's I really want to hear that story.
4: You already really get it. So when this like title kind of dropped in from spirit years before I ever penned the first word of the book, I said to my husband, "I'm going to write a book someday," and I have the title. It's called Kamikaze Yogi, and he bristled because of the image of the suicidal fighter pilot. And he said, honey, I don't think you have any idea what you're talking about. Nobody will be attracted to that title. That's so violent. And I said, well, we're going to have to wait and see. You know, I hear you. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to the two of you reading the chapter in the book called Kamikaze Kyle. So our godson passed away two and a half years ago of a brain tumor at the age of 28. And I was visiting him about two months before he passed and he couldn't speak any longer, but he showed me a picture, an image on his phone of his final tattoo. And at the moment I was uh, like shocked because it was a skull and it was very frightening looking. And he texted it to me, but I didn't really recognize it until I got home hours later, the spirit hit me and said, he's getting a kamikaze pilot you need to ask me why that is because he couldn't speak.
1: Mm. And
4: so I suddenly had the revelation that he and I were really connected soul to soul. And he didn't know that that was the title of my book. And Mm. I started just crazy texting him. He could still read the text. He could Mm. still send heart emojis. And I was saying, we have this beautiful connection, Kyle. You know that where you're going you're not this body. You're not this decaying brain from the brain tumor. You are an eternal spirit, a soul, your consciousness. You know that. And you want us to know that you know that. So his tattoo was a fuck you to death.
0: It was a literal fuck you to death. And so- I love it. All right. I mean, just making me cry on the podcast, on the interview. Oh my
4: gosh. I know. And so- when he passed, I prayed over. Do I tell his parents about this connection that he and I had? I mean, I don't want to, you know, get too woo with grieving best friends, right, right. But I definitely, I got a yes, yes. You, they, this will, this will be comforting. And so I told them the whole connection. Um, it's in, it's in the book as that story. So. That title comes at us from all different directions, right? It's a nod to the east. And then when I researched the word kamikaze has always meant divine wind. It has meant divine wind. Oh, my it has goodness. meant Holy Spirit for thousands of years before World War II. Wow. So anybody that thinks it's just one thing, right? Right? Like, no, nope. it's redeemed. It's a word that's being redeemed. Uh by me by There's, a christian
0: woman. Yeah. Do you have any japanese like background or is this um i don't. This a, a sort of love of culture that kind of came to you and yeah just yeah. Uh,
4: just but... literally trusting for those years where i was like i don't even know what this book's going to be about. Yeah. <laughs> and then it began to unfold. So i can tell you just one more thing so that you get this um image of who a kamikaze yogi is it is definitely someone who goes to the cross and and lets their fear die and you use your body right so that's why the yoga you're using your body that's why the physical practice and then that translates to whatever I'm doing physically I'm letting fear die and I'm letting that death energy in me that wants to grip me like Don't be your whole self. Don't, you know, let people see the weird parts. It's like, no, I'm going to let it all go and I'm just going to keep showing up.
2: You know, I I love this because here's the whole thing. I know about the divine wind uh, connection to the word kamikaze, Uh, but you're you're saying let it die, but I'm almost picturing you flying a part of your spirit, a, a part that's connected to something that's not, Profitable into a target and literally destroying it. Right. And, and I'm I'm telling you, this is like, oh my god. And and so listening to you tell the story about your godson, I'm just uh, I, I'm really blown away by that because he, he it, there was something in him that get it. He was like, okay, I'm I'm dying physically, but I, I, there's a part of me spiritually that has to be separated right so so what i want to ask is as a practicing yogi right how did you use that to draw a line in the sand uh, with 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 mainstream christianity because we know mainstream christianity has not been kind you know to eastern spiritual practices like yoga yoga and martial arts for example so so how did you use that to draw that line in the sand, I, I want to hear that story.
4: I think I'm still doing that to this day. We're um, my husband and I are involved here in Philadelphia, South Jersey area in a local church, and you know you're going to meet all kinds of people. Some people are really open to my practices, my story, the book, and some people want no parts of it. You know they definitely don't get it; they don't resonate. Well, that's okay. They're not for me right now, right? I just have to wish them well. And it's painful. Sometimes it's really painful because you do get the judgments, you do get the um, name calling, you know, whether it's heretic or why she have to be so rebellious or, you know, whatever the story is. So basically, my story is about healing. I went on to my yoga mat out of desperation. I was trying to get pregnant, And for three years, we went through infertility treatments, $15,000, no baby, and somebody recommended yoga. And I went to this high school auditorium evening class. Back then, 25 years ago, there were no yoga studios. And this woman just had that aura, right? You're looking at her and you're thinking, okay, I know she's got to be like 65 years old, but she looks like the um energy of a 35 year old and then by the end of those classes the worry the um desperation just began to melt and so we have two beautiful children so the yoga definitely helped wow and yeah yeah Yeah. and then fast forward uh 10 years you know stayed home raised them and when I started to have some time I went back to my yoga mat but this time with the intention of healing childhood abuse so definitely a lot of um not mentions in the book in terms of details because when I wrote it I can remember discerning this isn't for anybody else to kind of um like a tell-all, like, oh, Anita, <laughs> she, you know, you you get right. her whole, whole messy story. No, you don't get my whole messy story. But there are definitely enough times that I talk about empowering women and coming back from horrible experiences. And so on my yoga mat, I would just keep finding out who I am, who I am in Christ, and um, healing my nervous system and letting go of all the held trauma that you know was in the body that was showing up as infertility, as chronic irritable bowel, as sleeplessness, as tooth loss, as um, PMDD, which before we knew what CPTSD, chronic PTSD, which is what I am recovered from, but back then they just called it PMDD, which meant this woman acts bipolar <laughs> about two weeks out of the month, and I didn't feel like anybody knew how to handle it, so I just. But kinda, your yoga mat did. My yoga mat did, yeah. and the, I started calling God my divine therapist.
0: Oh, I love it, and mm. I, you know, I have a re- I have a relationship with yoga, not quite as deep as the one you're describing, but it's my um, my spouse. If I've gone too long without going to a class, he'll gently say, is there a yoga session tonight? Mm. I go to, cause he can tell the difference that it made. So you know what I'm talking about in my life. Yeah. And I've just moved. And so I don't, and it's where I, where I moved to, there's a lot of COVID restrictions still in place. So, um, there's kind of a little more limited, limited options, but that, and it's interesting because I've talked to, um, conservative Christians before who, Found a lot of benefit in yoga, but got really worried about it. Right. So, and Derek, I love what you said about like East meets East. Mm-hmm. And that's my, I, that I'm just, I'm going to credit you. I'm taking that. Uh, I'm taking that one on. I'm going to spread the gospel of that. East meets <laughs> East. It's exactly correct. Um, but I've talked to conservative Christians who would do yoga and found benefit in it. And then they got really worried. Um, especially uh, language about chakras, which is like, my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, They got worried about that, but there's a whole alternative conservative Christian yoga-like thing. I think it's called Praise Moves. Yes, yes. But it kind of cracks me up because I'm like, it's yoga. You're just not calling it yoga. Right. Like, what's the... What's wrong I
4: tried with just to call it, te- it yoga. Yeah, exactly. But- About uh, so going back eight ten years when I first felt called to bring yoga to, specifically to Christians, I would try to go to local churches and they would say, "But you can't call it yoga." Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I can, I can speak to that. I I know what they're afraid of. Yeah. You're, go, you're going to meet your demons. Right. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the bottom line. Uh, if you're not ready to meet your demons, then you don't have to. Right. <laughs> I've met a lot of my demons and there were seasons. So when you asked me if I, um, was a former evangelical. I was not a grew up catholic. Then my husband and I were methodist for a long time and our church now is rooted in the anabaptist tradition. But during those early years of the healing, my husband was really worried about my faith because things were shifting really fast and yeah. I wasn't seeing things the way that the church, you know, had taught me. And I never left Jesus and he never left me, but the way I was talking about consciousness and energy and chakras and all of that, if you're not familiar with it, it's pretty unsettling. So Mm -hmm. we had to, you know, we definitely had a couple of years where we had to work through that, where I know he wasn't sure if I was going to be a Christian on the other side of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, oh my gosh. Well, tell us, like, tell us more about that because you're and the subtitle of your book too, just, just for listeners, is um, Christ, Yoga, and the Courage to Emerge. So I uh, just, with my background, I just personally love that you're feeling like you don't have to leave Christianity, however you define that, in order to do this really sacred work. Yet yeah. you're dealing with people who are in a in a different mindset a lot around that. Um, and so what what is it like occupying that middle space? Uh, for you. (laughs) Depends on the day.
4: Right. <laughs> so yeah, I just try really hard to focus on the people who from, you know, like that heart resonance, like they get me, they trust me. And then I can talk honestly. If I sense that you're just not interested or that you, this is just too far in, I try to be respectful now. I mean, that's a maturity thing. I've definitely grown into that. There's no forcing. I remember having a conversation with my pastor when I told him that, that I was using the mirror Bible translation throughout the book, mostly. And he said, you're not going to convince people with that mirror Bible translation. You realize that, don't you? You're going to have to use a different respected translation or something that's been around longer. And I said, I'm not trying to convince <laughs> that anything, like you're just way off base there. So just like literally trusting the path, trusting my message, it's for whoever...
2: Wants to check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love uh, Francois Francois is who yes. uh, did the mirror translation. I love Francois' uh, work, his scholarship that's gone into that, and um, and and I really think that he did uh, an exceptional job. In um, it, it's not really a translation, but um, what what do you call it? Like the Amplified Bible, Katie. You would know this. It's a, I
0: think it's probably a paraphrase. paraphrase. Or a, yeah. Thank
2: you. <clears throat> So, but one question I wanna ask, and this is, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're uh, doing another series on um, uh, basically um, uh, oppressed and marginalized groups uh, in, in, in our faith, and how difficult has it been to, to carry this message of, of, um, of merging or marrying yoga with Christianity and and that, on, on top of that, being a woman, you know, how difficult was that? Hmm. So
4: um, you both know how it works. You get your power from delving into the pain. And that's the comfort. It, I'm not worried about, I'm rarely worried about what anybody else has to say anymore. I just stay in my lane, right? And then meet wonderful people like you who ask great questions who are open-minded open-hearted and curious and um yeah there's been there's been a lot as you can tell there's been a lot of pain but it gets transmuted it gets it gets turned into wisdom and intuition and patience all the virtues that we all want more of
0: well um I would love to hear a little bit about like what your Jesus journey has, has been like, especially on the mat, off the mat over the past 15 years. Like who, who do you understand Jesus to be um, now, you know, today?
4: Yes. Um, So two very distinct aspects. I think of Jesus as my inner masculine. So sometimes I really focus on that man inside of me and, he is very much a part of me and there is no separation he's just my inner masculine and also he is the mystery the christ the king the um there's there's no way i could ever understand um all his aspects and how he just um, has so much sacrifice and so much love for all of the world. That's not personal to Anita. You know, that's so universal. So I was talking to my husband last week about, um we got into this really great conversation that I don't think, I never confuse that I'm Jesus. But sometimes we get asked very personal ways to carry our cross and to... Like in intercession, I might take shame off of someone. Well, that's being very Christ-like. But I said at the end of the day, he is also not me. Like, you know, back to the original Christianity, that God is other, but trying to hold that tension of the two. But he can never be wholly other. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm... um. what I'm sensing, tell me if this is right or wrong. And um, Derek, I'd love to know um, your take on this too, uh, not to put you on the spot, but it sounds like I'm hearing a little maybe resistance to the, like, I am God message that's really popular in a lot of metaphysical circles, right? Yes. Um, And so I'm hearing like a little resistance to that and and a little adherence to some older Christian claims Mm -hmm. about the person of Jesus, like Jesus really is the cosmic Christ. Who is who is in everything, but has like we're has his own has has his own kind of personality that's apart from us. <laughs> that's apart you know from anything I, think I say of, or do. That I think you're gonna be
4: surprised to hear. <laughs> when I hear people say I am God, I automatically I think to myself, do you mean your creature nature is God? That's a creature that, nature. What do you mean? Your creature nature, like literally your animal nature. Like your okay. like that's the yeah.
0: Yeah, that's God. Mm-hmm.
4: I don't think they mean that, but that's what I think to myself. Yeah, I agree with you. That's God. That's where I'm
0: God. And um, Derek, I'm just like on the edge of my seat. I'm like curious where you. <laughs> I'm curious where your intersections here are. Well, this is really rich. You know
2: what? It, it, here's the thing. I'm I'm hearing that you it really you married something that would be considered New Age to something that's pretty orthodox right and and i applaud that because that's really a uh, that's a heavy lift right because like for me i'm one of those people that you talk about the i am god crowd right <laughs> but when when i say i am god it means that i am the object of my worship i am the the creator of my world and and i am the ultimate responsible entity for my being and so that's that's how I see it. But in in how you put it, and then and and Katie and I, we, we uh, we talk about it a lot, yeah. Um, that um, you know, basically I understand where Katie's coming from and I understand where you're coming from. And and I'm not uh how can I say it? I'm not just in out in overt disagreement. Uh I, I simply will say, you know, your mileage may vary, but but the thing <laughs> is I I get it. I, I don't know what that means. Your mileage may. Oh, vary. you know, like it's on it's on the window sticker of every new car, like or or they talk about it when they talk about fuel economy because two cars equipped exactly the same way, driven slightly differently, will get different mileage outcomes. Uh, so that's that's what they say. You know, you, uh, uh, twenty two uh, city, thirty highway, but your mileage may vary. <laughs> so that, gotcha. that's like one one of my catchphrases. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such a rich way of like, I mean, just all like, I, I feel like the three of us are yeah. talking about it in really different ways that like, if there was a Venn diagram, the overlap is really interesting. Yeah. And, and that's where the richness is. And that's where the mystery is.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I would love to see, you know, like the, the our three positions, our three viewpoints, even modeled as a Venn diagram, because I think that that would, that there, there would be a, a, a beautiful revelation in that, mm-hmm. you know, in that sweet center, right? Because, and, and, and this is where, what I think is really key about what you're doing in your book, in your ministry, Anita, is that you're, again, merging different different things that, that we wouldn't consider as cooperative or complementary, but, but here you are. And, There's a and, lot of and, tension there, yeah. Yeah, but but the thing is, you're you're making it work, and it's almost, it's almost like the movement of the yogi, you know. It, it, it's a it's a fluid, refreshing, enriching, strengthening, and you know, soothing, even, you know, a a, a motion, a spiritual motion that is born from the physical motions, or, or, or working in harmony in tandem with it. I mean, I'm just really, um, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just really, um, this is exciting to me.
4: I love that. What you were saying reminds me, I think about the yin and the yang, right? Yeah. Do they go together? No, (laughs) like they don't. they, are in such opposition. And yet each contains part of the other. So the yoga practice working with the energies, the masculine and the feminine, the celestial energies with the rooted grounded energies, they're all in tension with one another. And yet somehow they dance. And saying that reminds me of when I first got called to go to our local church, it's been five and a half years. I did art direction once a month and for about a year and a half in the day or two days even before art direction, I would go into spiritual battle and it would be intense. And it went on, like I said, I want to say close to a year and a half where I'd be like, this is exhausting. Thank goodness it's only once a month. And then all of a sudden, one day the spirit came in and said, the battle is done. Now it's a dance. Mm. And and mm. that battle really was done. Wow. There have been other new battles. Right. But that battle was finished. Well, yes. what's you
0: know, what's occurring to me is that your um tell me if this feels right. I mean, you're really your experience with yoga is a um a means by which you can be in the battle. Yes. Right? That equips you not to run away from it, but to sort of be be the um Trying, this is a bad metaphor. The tree in the storm, or something like that. that Right. right. It can bend and flow and then come out the other side where you're not feeling embattled. You're feeling, you're, then you're in, then you're in a tango. Yes. Or a waltz or whatever. It it does. It develops
4: that kind of wisdom so that when these conversations still come up, and I rarely battle with anybody online, but I did write about the book recently on Twitter. And, you know, people just started with the whole, you can't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't do it? And then I'm like, forget it. (laughs) I just signed myself out.
0: Well, one of the, um, I imagine one of the questions you might get um, is, uh, how you deal with the deities that are um, in, like in yoga writings and that are, I don't know if they're fundamental to the Western expression of yoga, but certainly I get that question a lot. Um, and like how you understand um, those the references to those deities as a, as someone who's following Jesus. I love that question so much because it's a huge part of my journey. Kirtans,
4: have you been to kirtans where they chant the names in Hindu? I have not. Have you, Derek? No. No, I no. haven't. I'm, like, I kind of know about it, but... There are these little mini concerts in yoga studios, and I had been to maybe three, four of them. And then the year I turned 50, I said to my husband, I want to hire these local musicians and I'm going to have a 50th birthday party for myself in the yoga studio at Kirtan. And so Mm -hmm. I invited about maybe 25 people. Now, the people that came, they didn't want to chant the names for God, but what they're Feedback to me was that they saw me enter ecstasy. Like chanting the names for God. I was just in that beautiful, glowing, dancing in my seat uh, state. And they could feel that. That's real. Now, they didn't have to chant them. My husband didn't, but it's an energy. So more than anything, to just trust your body. If you don't want to chant it, Nobody is going to make you do anything, but for me, it, helped me get into a really deeply blissful state that I could Mm. share with my community. And sometimes just watch, right, just watching somebody dance or just Mm. watching somebody sing is enough for you. You don't have to dance and sing. You can just witness their joy. And that was what happened um, Mm. at my birthday for people to see. There's really nothing to be afraid of. It can be far and it can be kind of weird, Mm. but no, you don't have to. You can just see the result
0: and how are you understand like are you understanding those deities as energies as like part uh part of the god energy yeah i just
4: think that they're um yeah mostly like like om money padme home it's the highest representation of compassion Mm -hmm. so i chanted that every day for a couple of months and wow did my levels of compassion increase so yeah, they're just aspects of of we say aspects of God. They're aspects of humanity, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like well, let's just bring it down to that. They're aspects of being human. Mm-hmm.
2: It's it's a it's a manifestation of both humanity and divinity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. that's the way I look at it. it yeah, you know, I don't think that it's blasphemous that it you know denigrates God in any way, but um, but just it, it's it's a manifestation or an expression. And it's
0: beautiful. And well, I, beautiful. yeah. And I, and, and my um, other podcast, we just released an episode like two days ago at, when we're, of, from when we're recording this about Shiva and Kali. And we yeah. explored the deities of Shiva and Kali in Hindu, Hinduism and, and, and in India. Um, and the guest that we had on who who is a devout Hindu, we were like, do you see Shiva and Kali as deities, as beings or as energy? And he was like, yeah. That pretty much covers it. Right. All the <laughs> above <Yeah. laughs> that pretty much covers it. But it was it is interesting for me as a Jesus follower to explore those energies with their distinct personalities. And like when we can get to the place where that doesn't feel threatening, or even if it does feel threatening, and we can still do it. Um, there's so much wisdom that's underneath right. all of that.
4: I like to say, what if your next door neighbor was a practicing Hindu, right? Could you welcome them over or go to their home and have them teach you about these things? I mean, that's how we should be respecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's respectful. It's curiosity. And, and let's admit we only have one God. We Christians say that we believe in one God, but then we act like there's a lot of gods.
0: Right. So yeah. There's only yeah. one God. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it, the, and part of this shift too, of course, for, uh, for those coming out of evangelical culture is that we're often taught to treat these other deities as demons. They're really demons wearing a, wearing a God skin. And so, um, I love Anita's approach is very different than that. And, you know, yeah. one that I, I really resonate with. Um, this has been incredible. I'm, uh, I'm so excited about this, uh, shift in the offering of East meets East. Um, That was beautiful. So the name of the book, Kamikaze Yoga uh, by Anita Grace Brown. Anita, where else can people find you? How, what's the best way for, where's the best place for them to look, to connect? So if they
4: want to practice yoga with me, I have a podcast called It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. So years before I ever wrote the book, I was in a season of creativity and I created a hundred episodes. So they're between 15 and 25 minutes long, all levels. And I created a podcast instead of a video because I really believe that you're meant to just be in your body and trust your body you're not meant to look at the teacher I mean that's helpful sometimes too but um yeah people can check out and the title is uh based on the Matthew verse at five o'clock everybody got paid the same whether you worked all day or you didn't work one minute so it's all grace so I love the the little play on words there it's five o'clock somewhere you can either do yoga or have a cocktail
2: yeah. Um, now, see, I was I was thinking of the serendipity of that because you're a guest on the Heretic Happy Hour. Right. a <laughs> oh!
0: it's,
2: it's Happy Hour somewhere. It's it five is five o'clock o'clock right somewhere. somewhere. That's indeed <laughs> That's correct.
0: <so> yes. true. <laughs> yeah. Another
2: it.
4: synchronicity, and um, so yeah, just on the on the socials as Anita Grace Brown. I'm. Uh, becoming a life coach next month so i will have a new website up hopefully in about a month uh, the title is still up for grabs but you can find kamikaze yogi wherever online okay. books are sold
0: yeah whenever you get that t- whenever you get the website just let us know we'll make sure it goes in the show notes awesome awesome well thank you so much for being here this is uh this is great i can't wait uh, for everyone this is really this. fun
4: yes peace 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 yes
0: Cool. Thank you, Anita. That was amazing. It's uh, inspiring me to take up my yoga again. I'm feeling pretty stiff. That'll, that'll help me with my incarnated state. Uh, Derek, wasn't that a fun conversation?
2: Oh, it was a blast, Katie. I, I, I'll tell you something. It's always cool when you come away from a conversation saying, hey, I'd like to be your friend in real life. And Anita, that's how I felt. You are just absolutely, you're
3: absolutely the shit. I really enjoyed the conversation. Derek, it was it was good to see your voice back, and now it's gone again. Yes, you sucks. lost it again. Yeah, you lost it again. <laughs> it's your fault.
0: And actually, do you know where I record? Where I was when I recorded that conversation? I was in America? Louisiana. Oh, <laughs> I was. I was in Louisiana. I was. It was so fun. I was at my nephew's brand new house, like two days before he got married. And whenever we go see his house, they invited me over. And I was like, I got this podcast. And they set me all up in their uh, back bedroom for Derek and I to uh, talk with Anita. So full circle here, full global community here.
3: Yeah, I think
2: that was, the, that was the first interview that I did from my new digs here in Oklahoma, too.
3: Well, let's let's get into it. What do we have today? We have, um, it's almost like a uh, last uh, last episode, part two, in a way. Kind in of way, piggybacking off of the uh, the virgin birth, and now we get the incarnation.
1: Yeah, and it, this is a good one. I mean, you know, for, as we're going through sort of the pillars of the Christian faith, I mean, in my in my opinion, this is probably one of the I would say a true pillar in the sense that um, uh, this is a big deal. Whereas I think some of the other pillars we've looked at, we've sort of like you know, original sin, like eh, not so much. Uh, virgin birth, eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, you know those kinds of things like but this one to me the incarnation feels like okay this is a serious pillar like this is a big deal it's the big one it's a pretty big one but the even um but it's not as simple as just saying that jesus was god in the flesh because as we're going to get into there's i mean the church argued for a long long time or not not even argue but i guess really wrestled with trying to figure out in what way jesus was or could have been both, you know, God and human and uh, how, how could a human, how could God become a human? How could humanity contain, you know, the infinite creator and all this stuff? So this was a big sort of philosophical uh, conundrum for a quite a long, long time. And of course, it led to uh, the whole idea of the Trinity, which we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode. So um, we're going to be spending some time in this territory a little bit here. Um, but it's a big deal. So this whole idea of Jesus being um, God in the flesh, um, yeah, big pillar. So what do we think about it? And I mean, do we want to kind of go into the history of it? Or Before we get started, can I throw some pee in the Kool-Aid right away? Oh,
2: okay. And, and this was basically where I would have gone last week. And it's this, that if God could create himself in human form, which is a pretty big deal. Right? Surely, surely he could cure childhood cancer. Surely, he could fix a lot of the the, the ails that that ail humanity. It, it's not just enough to say, "Well, I'm creating myself so that I can sacrifice myself for humanity." Big fucking deal. What about the people who are actually suffering in real time? And and that that's you know that's something that really. That really gets to me about the whole incarnation story, because if God can, you know, because people say, "Well, God works through man." Okay, great. Then is in in that case, did God instruct some young man to to you know to bone up Mary and make her pregnant? Uh, or, you know, or, or to God. And, and, you know, in one of the commandments is that thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. But clearly God coveted another man's wife because Joseph was betrothed to Mary. So it's like there, there, are, there are a lot of things here that, that just, you know, when, when I, when I do my little peanut brain math, it just doesn't add up. So that's my that's my contribution to the um, throw a little shit in the fan
3: right away. Well, I I guess I would ask um, I don't know if this derails us too much, but if the incarnation is more than Jesus, if everything's the incarnation, does the same question still apply and in the same way?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's the question. Is like, I mean, it, you brought it, this is great by the way, Derek. Thank you. I love this. I love that you bring this kind of stuff to our conversation. So thank you for for raising this this question. But even your question sort of assumes some things in the question as well. So I think as we're diving into incarnation, I mean, so it, just for example, like if I'm understanding your question correctly, it's like um, if, if Jesus is the only incarnation that God ever had, then why didn't God do these other things? Well, but there's also the possibility that the incarnation of Jesus <clears throat> isn't the only one like that maybe it's a statement that everyone that God is in is in everyone that everyone is sort of an incarnation of God as well so so I think there maybe there's a conversation before we no, get I, to that I completely, I completely buy that keith that
2: if 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 we're gonna talk about incarnation, it can be one, it has to be all because either either it's it's all and it's meaningful or it's none and it's not or it's one and it's not. You know, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything for the rest of us.
0: Well, I'm yeah, I'm finding the question interesting, like an interesting tack to think about it. And for me, like being incarnated, I'm going to go all woo woo is kind of part of the learning camp that we're all in here on planet Earth. Yeah, it's all kind of part of the learning camp that we're here on planet Earth. And so, can God? cure, you know, diseases, stop all the, stop all the stuff. Yes. I, you know, I believe that God can do that. I believe that's within God's capability, but kind of part of our incarnate experience here is that, um, we, we get the free will to figure that out as humanity. And most of the time, like 95% of the time, I think we really, really screw that up. Um, and Jesus, part of Jesus incarnation is to show us how to do it just a little bit better.
2: You know, my, um, second to youngest sons, type one diabetic. And when he was diagnosed, he was four years old and he had to be flown by helicopter from Bentonville, Arkansas to Little Rock, right? Uh, Because it was that crucial. And so I flew from Dallas where I was on assignment uh, to meet him in Little Rock. And so while we were there, we, we spent four days in children's hospital, learning about type one diabetes and, um, getting, getting trained. But while we were there, we were able to put, uh, Ducey into a, um, a wagon that had like little seat belts in it. It was really cool and pull him around the hospital. And I'm going to tell you something for anybody that says what when, when people talk about what God can do, what God can do, they need to take a walk through a goddamn children's hospital because that will fix their fucking thoughts. Because I've seen children that were, that were um, uh, stricken with life-threatening cancers and ailments. I've seen kids that didn't have all of their limbs. I've seen kids that didn't have a full uh, brain, kids with all kinds of maladies, right? And so when you talk about God can't, God can heal. Well, fuck. If you're God, goddamn it, kill the. I mean, cure these kids, fix that, and then if if you if, if you don't want to have any issues about belief, you fix that, and belief will be satisfied. But it, it you know, like I, and 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 then you know, fast forward some years later, my niece died of brain cancer she was 10 fucking years old and she didn't die simply just going to sleep and and and, and no she died a agonizing fucking death now, and 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 here's the thing. I sat up in prayer vigil after prayer vigil with the family. We fasted, we prayed, we called on the name of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus says, "Anything you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father will be glorified in the son." And then and and so now, you know, you're not you you, you can't fix this. Man, fuck you. Honestly.
3: So I think, Derek, um, what you're saying is, so this is a lot of the same questions I've had about theodicy. And, you know, it's like, why, why do you, you know, if there is a good God, why, why is bad shit happen? Why is there suffering? Um, and I didn't know you were going to kick us off in that way, but I'm, I'm kind of glad you did because for me, it's the same questions that is kind of my lens through which I test all theological claims. Because for me, it comes down to, okay, you're saying this, but but these things happen in the real world. So to the Calvinist where God is all-powerful, I'm sorry, but the, what you just said, Derek, refutes that God, just in practical terms, because it doesn't work. And you can talk about all these kind of pie-in-the-sky uh, sort of things, like, oh, God is holy, or God is, you know, whatever. Whatever people say to justify, you know, these kind of things. But it doesn't work for me. And so the same thing with the Incarnation. And so to me, that's why, you know, I I personally, I'm to the place where, like, I don't believe in a, in a God that does these things like cure people. Because if there is, then God really sucks at it. And we would revoke his, uh, we would revoke his medical license because he's inept. So how do we deal with it incarnationally? I'd say the only, the only people doing, you know, alleviating suffering are human beings. And so... For me like the the way I understand incarnation uh, fits with my understanding of Buddhism and the idea of the Bodhisattva, which is basically this figure it 's anyone who works toward the enlightenment of others to bring alleviating suffering in the world in their life so to me that's that's incarnational that 's the Bodhisattva that 's what Jesus was tapping into and and that 's the only uh, quote unquote Personal God that I believe in any longer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I kind of lean that way too. I mean, what I appreciate about the question is that, um, and and the and the observation that you bring up, Derek, is that it does point out the flaws in um, the ways we have thought of God to this point and how it doesn't work. Like, okay, so you know, whoever, whatever God is and whatever God is like, it can't be that. Because I, I think those are, so it's really good to bring that up. But so I think it's worth saying, okay, if God isn't like that, then how does this work? And what what does make sense? I mean, um, we've had a few episodes ago, we had Thomas J. Ord on and he, and, and also Mark Harris. And I, I really appreciate the work they've done to kind of come up with a at least a different um, perspective on this idea. You know, like Thomas J. Ord's book, God Can't, um, or the... Um, uh, the uncontrolling love of God, and I'll be honest, I'm not 100 percent with all of that. I I think there's even some flaws and holes in some of that. But I but I think compared to the to the to the uh, the version I was handed, which is that if you're suffering, well, God has some great master plan, and it's all going to work out. And or whatever, or he wants to teach you a lesson, or it's because you have sin in your life, or you know whatever. Like all to me, all that is bullshit, and I I I hate and reject all of those um, all of those things. So I think Thomas Ord and Mark Karras have a much better answer to the question. Although, like I said, I don't think it's for me. It's not a hundred percent seamless, but I think it's better. And so it, for me, it's I think there's still some mystery on some of these things when it comes to suffering in the world and and the role that God plays and humans play. I definitely think that it's this idea that um, if God does anything in the world, it's going to be through a, a person. Um, so it, it's, it is Christ in us. Like, you know, that whole thing about uh, God has no, or Jesus has no body now but yours, and no hands but yours, no feet but yours. So like, if God is going to do anything, it's going to be through, through us. And if not, it won't happen. Uh, and I think that's that's where I lean anyway, most of the time on this whole question. Uh, but I don't think it's an, I don't think they're easy answers. Obviously this is a, this is probably one of the biggest problems that people have had, but it's a, it's a different problem. It's not the incarnation. It's a different question, but it's definitely one that that's worth bringing up and discussing.
0: Well, it's it's talking about our incarnation. Yes. Right. Like it's talking about our experience of being, of being human beings on the earth, which is, um, you know, uh, an up and down experience for in, in anyone's life and a lot more down for a lot of people. But, you know, as we're, as we're talking to about the incarnation of Jesus, I, one of the, I mean, Jesus suffered too, right? So it's not like Jesus sure. was, um, if, if whatever kind of power Jesus had, um, it didn't prevent his own suffering right. um, as well. And even all the people that, you know, the, the recorded healings in the new Testament, et cetera, which I, I see very few of those as literal, but, um, even those, it's not like any of those people live forever. They all continue to suffer in, in their life, and they they all and die. They die. So, yeah. right, like their incarnated experience came to an came to an end um, as well. But. Yeah, one of one of those questions in the early church, and they they debated about it. Gosh, council after council after council after council for hundreds of years was how much, um, how exactly how incarnated is Jesus? Um, is Jesus fully incarnated as a human? Is Jesus um, not human at all and only spirit? And they come um, to some bizarre kind of conclusions around that. And I'm I'm just kind of curious: Are we still having those debates today, or have we kind of agreed with the final word on that as a, as a culture.
3: I don't, I mean, I, I think we're having the debates though, probably not to the, to the vigor of the early church. I just would like to see the debate go past Jesus because it's, see, we have all this talk about Jesus and this is where I probably, you know, we might have to take a shot on our old drinking game where I agree with what Jamal would say a lot back in the day. And it was so much (laughs) emphasis on, on what Jesus taught about us. And so we we tend to fixate on Jesus, the person, but not what he actually said. Or at least what we can, you know, I mean, it's hard to say what he said because the Gospels are so different. We don't know what's true and what's theologically infused from the writers and the editors. But there was a lot on, like... It, if Jesus is anything really different than us, how can we follow him? And why the hell would he tell us to? Unless he's a human being like us. Because honestly, like if if some superhero is like follow me, I'm like, well, I can't fly, Superman. I don't know what the fuck you expect from me. So uh, it, it, Jesus needs to be just like us for us to follow him.
1: No, I think that's a great point. I mean, we went, me and you and Jamal went round and round on this exact thing for so long. But I'm grateful that we did because it. It actually helped me turn the corner on some of this too, because I I think originally when we started the podcast, I was much more on the idea that Jesus was different and special, and um and only certain people were in Christ and all that. And and that going back and forth, I mean, oh, probably five or six different episodes, um on this topic, I it really did help me think through it to the point of like coming to the place like you just said, Matt, uh, that um it's it, the things that are true of Christ are true of us. And the, so to me, the incarnation of Christ isn't saying, hey, here's this y- unique, special thing that God did only one time to this one guy, Jesus of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago. I, I think it's meant to say, this is um, what God has done in everyone. And we just have to recognize this, right? That 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 in the same way that, that Jesus is incarnated, or that God is incarnated in, or Christ is incarnated in Jesus, is incarnated in us, and then what does that mean? That's a, now that's, suddenly that's a different question. Yeah, and, and basically, in order
3: for
2: Christianity to work, then everybody has to be the incarnation of God. If if it is just Jesus, then it doesn't it doesn't really work because there is no empowerment for the rest of humanity everyone else is down here and Jesus is up here and you can aspire to be like him but you can never be him and that's and that's the that's the thing so the the, the incarnation really has to be that in the Christ that all of humanity experiences the incarnation that all of humanity experiences the fullness of Christ, that all of humanity is Christ and all of humanity is God. Mic drop.
0: So I'm, I'm on board with Jesus is fully human. Like there's, um, it seems like that's something we're all um, in agreement about and, and that not only that, but how important that is um, in order for us to um, maybe experience the mystery of that and for me, it is, I do get really caught up actually in that mystery that like God does become flesh, like God becomes, uh, has a human experience. And I'm always curious, like, does God actually need that? Do we need that? Who needs that? Who is it? Who is it that needs that? Is that coming from heaven? Is that coming from us? Um, I think part of the question, though, is like, how much of how divine is Jesus? Like that's the part, that's the flip side of the coin to the incarnation. Right. And so the early Christians were, they couldn't come to an agreement about it. I mean, they were, I don't know if they were dealing in percentages, but they kind of were. Um, and so like, you, you know, the not the, the ultra Gnostics would say, Jesus only pretended to be human. Jesus was never human. Uh, other people would say, Jesus can't be part divine. And so like the, the silly thing that they've that they came to was 100% divine, 100% human because they really couldn't agree, which is a little ridiculous, but then I've kind of embraced it. Like even now I still kind of embrace that as I don't know as a truth, but as something
1: that is truthful. I'm ready to deconstruct it. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, well, I, is it
0: human? Yeah, what's the other half?
1: Yeah. Well, so this is what I think is so interesting about this the the discussion of the incarnation, it like you brought up, Katie, You know, and you know, the church has debated this forever, almost from the beginning, right? Trying to make sense of this. And here's the thing: like, like you said, it is a bit of a mystery. And for me, I kind of am cool with it staying a mystery. Like i I think we have we when we try so hard to make mathematical, you know, literal sense of God, which I I I see God as being a being far beyond, you know, comprehension, um, beyond definition, uh, something that would be really um, impossible for anyone in in words to fully describe and, and apprehend, to put our arms around. And so if that's what we're talking about when we're talking about God, then to say that any of us could figure out the formula or the percentage Or the, the modality of how this all worked out. I mean, to come up with a theory is one thing, and that's great. Let's come up with, let's talk about theories all day. That's great. But then, but then to come to the place of saying, okay, all right, guys, we have figured it out. Here's what it is, and we're, and we're done. I think that's nonsense. I don't think any of us could ever do that. I, I'm comfortable with us having conversations. I think it's great for us to say, well, what if it's like this? And to go, okay, well, maybe it is like this, but hey, but what if it's like this other thing? Because I don't think we really are ever going to know. I think there is a bit of a mystery wrapped in that as well. To what level, right? It, are all of us the incarnation of God? To what, to what percentage is God in us and we are connected to God and to one another, right? Like, I really love and appreciate the stuff that it seems like, you know, quantum science is, is discovering about reality and, um, consciousness. And how there seems to be one consciousness that everyone shares. And that means we're all connected to the same, to each, to one another and everything else in the universe and all that. And that's really amazing to me. But to sit down and be like, well, let's figure out the percentages and let's map this out and draw it up on the, on the graph, graph it on the whiteboard or whatever. No, I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I love that. I love wrestling with it and having the philosophical conversation. I'm just personally not very comfortable with like deciding this is it. And we've, we're done thinking and we're done, you know, we're, we're done wrestling this out.
3: I, I think we'll never be done. And just as Miss I, I, Katie, you, you embrace the mystery of of Jesus in this way. And I, I agree with you. And I'm sure you would embrace the mystery of then the relation with, uh, of us. Like we're, if we're the same as Jesus and um, I can't help but embrace and, and I'm a cool with that mystery too on on what it really means to be a human being. And then the second thing that Ke- Keith, when you were talking, the thing I loved about the, about this show is that we get to disagree. And I don't even know if you meant to say this, but you said something about God being a being, and I, and, and it just stuck with me right there. I was like, no, God God is not a being. I don't I don't think because. I mean, if uh, I loved it, and I didn't understand most of it because it was I had to read it <laughs> four, four times, but it was David Bentley Hart's "The Experience of God." And if you've read David Bentley Hart, you know oh, yeah. why I say that it's hard to understand. Yeah, and a lot of it goes over your head, and you read it over and over. But the thing, what he understands is God, of God is that so the sub the subtitle is "Being Consciousness and Bliss," and he differentiates between beingness and a being, and and says absolutely God is not a being and and so you know when a lot of people say i don't see evidence of god as a being in this world i i don't think you'll find evidence of god as a being and so for me it becomes the mystery of how how is god anything experienced in this world without the incarnation of everything of uh, god is incarnate in every single thing that we experience and see and taste and touch and and so yeah just thought i'd throw those thoughts out there
2: so let me let me say this, I kind of disagree with the being thing because God absolutely has to be a being um because in order for something to be doing, it has to first be being but um the example that I want to give is I have five sons, and my oldest son, we we were having a conversation, and he was telling me he said, you know he said i told i tell you know Zach and Troy and Ducey and Anthony. That if you just kind of dance along with Dad, he'll be your best friend, and he'll help you walk through it. and And he said, when I when I understood that, he said, growing up became really easy. And and the funny thing is, is that when he told me this story, I got it in the way that I wanted to give it. I understood exactly what he was saying because I wanted to make things clear enough that they could execute different activities and different thoughts without my input. So the the thing is, is that if God is a being, then it is incumbent upon God to let us know what his thoughts are and what his expectations are. Because if I, can, if I can reveal my thoughts and my expectations with my peanut brain to my sons, then God surely, in his infinite wisdom, can do the same for the rest of us. Make it simple, God. If, if, there's, if there's something you want us to know, make it simple. If there's something you want us to do, make it simple. It, it's not, you know, like I, I tell. I, I have. Um, we we put our our trash out every Sunday night so that it can be picked up on Monday morning. If I don't tell the kids that it has to be done. And, and and then when it's not done, if for me to get angry with them for it not being done, that's my fault. Because I didn't convey the proper information to them. But if I convey the information to them and they don't do it, then that means that I've given the information and they failed on the assignment. So, so to, to your point, Matt, is that my being influences or dictates even my doing and that if my if my being is a certain within a certain parameter then i can expect my kids to understand my being and for them and for their doing to accurately reflect and operate within that being does that make sense because the the whole thing is is that we're, you know, we're, we're, we have these nebulous expectations and goals that, you know, supposedly the Bible gives it to us. Supposedly the ancient text gives this to us, but we don't get it. I mean, in, 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 re, in reality, God should be a better parent than any of us. That those of us who have kids, we make it plain. So our kids understand it, so that there's no ambiguity.
0: Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna throw some sort of wrinkles in in that, Derek. I think, and well, y'all know, like parent metaphors, like don't work, for, don't work for me at all when, when we're talking about God. But like God as a being, um, I mean, I think the way I see this, sort of from a metaphysical point of view, um, is that we do have an incarnate existence here, and I think it's radically important. Like, there's a lot that we learn as soul creatures here on earth. And I think that we've all chosen to be here. Like, I think, like, I think every, I personally, I think all of us have said like going down the planet earth, this is, this is the shit I'm going to work on as an incarnate being. And I'm going to work on it. But I believe that there's a whole discarnate world that we're also part of, like incarnation is important and, um, and to be cherished and treasured. And I think that there's a whole discarnate thing out there. And I think I lean more towards God being like Derek being more of a being like with a personality, not only like God and the universe are not synonymous to me. Um, God exists outside of the universe, but operates through the universe in our, in our kind of 3d world. Um, but I, I see this, a Beautiful interplay between our incarnate experience and the discarnate experience um, that we all have had and will have again. And you should listen to the episode on reincarnation. We talk about it more.
1: <laughs> Go back and listen. Shameless plug. Oh Shameless plug.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So if I understand, I did not. I have not read that that uh, particular book by my uh, my favorite theologian, David Bentley Hart, um, but. As I if I understand what, what you're saying and what I think what you're saying, David Bentley Hart is suggesting, is that um that God isn't a being, but God's but God does have being, and God's being is something that is sort of resolved or or expressed in everything else, right? Is is, is that right is that correct? Is it sort of like the Richard Wars panentheism idea where God uh God is not everything is infused with God?
3: Uh, I would, pro- I would, I would hesitate to guess because I have a feeling you'll probably just email David Bentley Hart and be like, "Well, <laughs> Matt, this is what Matt said," and then he'll intellectually give me a whooping. Um, but from what I gathered, I would say I don't know if he would have too many issues with panentheism. right? But he obviously can can uh, can can correct me.
1: So. The, the but book, but
3: I feel I feel like we I feel like we need to we need to tease this as a future episode,
1: right? Um, because I know I do know that his uh, I actually have a copy of his book that it's not out yet, but it's called the title of his new book is called "You Are Gods," and I think it is. Um, I haven't finished reading it yet, but I think he is moving more in this direction of panentheism. So, but I, like I said, I haven't finished reading it yet. And what I have read, I really don't understand. So. <laughs> Well, to it again. Wow.
3: So so the, your task, Keith, should you choose to accept it, is to get David Bentley Hart back on the show. I'm gonna do And we can ask him directly. Can I do that? Um, and yeah, of course. Right, He's always welcome. If okay. he will if he if he will actually introduce himself again as a heretic, <laughs> as a heretic which yes. Was was difficult for him. But um do do we need a, a second episode? I feel like we need a second yeah, episode I, I of the too. incarnation. We need we to extend even, the series. We
1: haven't even talked about Arianism. That's true. We haven't okay. kind of, gotten all the so, other heresies, the other views that came around and all that stuff.
3: So this will be the deal. Uh, we are adding to the series, Executive Decision. There will be a part two of this before we move any further in, in this lovely uh, lovely podcast series. But if you liked everything that you were listening to and you want to check out our website, it is heretichappyhour.com. We have books from our, from our former heretics of the week. We have t-shirts and hats and uh, we got a sweatshirt and some coffee mugs on there. We got all sorts of goodies, of course our episode. So it's heretichappyhour.com. Check it out today.
0: Y'all should join Heresy After Hours. It's our free Facebook group for everyone on their deconstruction journey. And I have, and I'm not kidding, 50 Christmas jokes and memes ready to go. So if you join now, you'll be there just in time to see my irreverent Christmas cartoons make it into Heresy After Hours. Anyway, over 2,000 heretics just like you, asking questions, providing great conversation, saying hysterical things. So come join Heresy After Hours.
1: And hey, if you love, uh, the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and of course everyone, of course you do. Uh, and, um, and you also- Not everyone does.
3: Well, not everyone does.
1: anyone listening to my voice at this moment, I'm, I'm guessing really, really still loves the podcast. And if you do, if you love the podcast and you love, like, getting free, exclusive, you know, bonus stuff that no one else gets, then you know what? Go over to patreon.com slash Heretic Happy Hour. Support your favorite podcast. And, um, not only will you get to support this podcast, you will unlock just a treasure trove. It'll be like Christmas. Like, it'll be giving yourself the most awesome Christmas gift. Bonus interview uh, footage, bonus conversation, podcast uh, episodes. Just so much cool stuff that you'll have access to. Head over there. And by the way, if you already do support us, thank you so much. We love you, and it means so much to us. And if you love this podcast, please go to iTunes and give us five stars.
2: And if you... Expect to be part of the incarnation of Christ. If you don't give us five stars, you won't be. End of story. Ooh! Wow,
1: boy, you can un- un- unincarnate people. That's right. That <laughs> That's button? right. That disheartened <laughs> yeah. experience is coming.
2: Yeah, <laughs> where, where's where, where's the heresy?
1: The heresy scream. All right.
3: Derek will unincarnate you. He will
1: unincarnate you, yes. That's right. Watch out.
3: But he ain't fucking around.
1: Watch me use my God voice. <laughs> I thought we played real well. We got to come out with a lot of energy. Yeah.